Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir, and I'm joined by my main man, Gino Bacola. We've got a great show for you guys today. This is our college bowl game preview show. We'll also sprinkle in some NFL draft talk, as well as the final week of the NFL season. We're going to be joined by the parlay queen, Monique Fag of Covers.com and America's Best Racing, as well as NFL Draft Bible's Rick Ciratella. But first, Gino, we want to give a tribute to a legend, Jack Van Berg, Hall of Fame trainer who unfortunately has departed at the age of 81 yesterday morning in Arkansas from cancer. And in my opinion, the best way to give a tribute is to storytell, storytell about his greatness. And so we're lucky to have with us Chris Kutulak from Remington Park. And you guys have seen him on TVG to share some insight. Chris wrote the biography, Jack from Grit to Glory. And Gino, Jack was far and away ahead of his time. He was the Connie Mack, the Don Shula, the Red Auerbach of horse racing. We're probably a little bit young to necessarily have lived through or witnessed the greatness live, but we're both fans of the game and fans of the history of the game. What are your impressions and thoughts of the legendary Jack Van Berg? Uh, JVV is a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, he had some lean years from 99 to like 2013. Thing, he, he, the numbers started to struggle. But what I what I thought was most impressive was the last few years for JVV as he kind of reinvented himself. He moved back to the Midwest. Um, and he, you know, you started seeing him pop up at Oakland Park. Uh, Churchill, Keeneland, Ellis. This past year, 2017, he started 269 horses. He had 42 wins, 40 seconds, and 25 thirds. What I thought was an incredible stat. He had one win every year, uh, looking on Equibase, from 1957 through 2017. Uh, At least one recorded win every year. And I think the horse that we all remember him from the most is Ali Sheba. Uh, Ali Sheba himself was a Hall of Famer, 1987 champion, three-year-old. He won the Derby and the Preakness, the the Super Derby, the Stroob, the Sandy to Handicap. And then the final four races of 1988, he were all grade ones, the Island, the Woodward, the Meadowlands Cup, and the Breeders' Cup Classic. He was the 1988 older horse uh, of the uh, old champion older horse and horse of the year. So uh, that, I think that's the, the one that we all remember JVB for and in his 6,500 plus victories, that's uh, that's probably the horse that really was one that a lot of people are still fans of. Uh, you know, we remember Ali Sheba with very very on. beloved, yeah, very beloved. Yeah, they they dubbed him uh, America's horse, and uh, you know this was uh, you know, and I'm curious to ask Chris, who uh, will be joining us in, in a moment here, you know, whether Jack Van Berg was one of the type of guys who was more celebratory about Alashiba's win in the Derby and the Preakness and the Breeders' Cup Classic? Or is he one of those guys, like any big-time head coach in the NFL or NBA, they kind of dwell on the losses and maybe the triple crown miss? So on that note, Gino, let's bring in the man himself who wrote the biography, Jack from Grit to Glory, Chris Katulak. Good morning or good afternoon for you, Chris. How are you? 
You're on with Mike and Gino. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for having me on the on the show. I appreciate being a part of it, and uh, you you uh, have definitely set the stage very well about the the racing accomplishments of uh, of Jack Vanberg. The part of the reason why I wanted to write the book was part of what you just rattled off his his dossier, his resume of his highest accomplishments uh, as a trainer. So that's that's key to bring to the fore right off the bat. Chris, talk a little bit about how you met Jack. How did you become close with him initially? What were some of your first memories of him like? Well, Gino, my first memories of Jack Vanberg were uh, listening to him roar with that grizzly bear voice uh, at the help when I was uh, walking hots at Exarban Racetrack in Omaha, Nebraska back in the 70s. Uh, so it was, it was from the stable area, but you know, prior to that, having read the daily racing form and, and the program, I knew who Jack Vanberg was once I entered into horse racing. He and his father are, frankly, just godlike in, in Nebraska horse racing. I can't say it, you know, maybe otherwise I could say they're like a George Patton or a Teddy Roosevelt or a Simone Bolivar, the great conqueror of South America. But that, that's the, the rank that they had in Nebraska horse racing. And then ultimately in the national racing scene. So uh, I knew who they were, and they were tremendous um, flag bearers for horse racing in Nebraska or Louisiana or on the national scene, Detroit, you name it. And the, the benevolence that both Jack and his father had and shared with the racing community is, is another reason why I wanted to write the book about just the man that, that uh, Jack Vanberg was. In in a world where uh, you know it's it's gambling and it's it's all about winning and losing and uh, you know if you have a good day people like you and if you have a bad day people don't it's it's kind of strange in in the world of horse racing to hear someone who you don't hear one bad word ever said about there's never I've never heard one negative thing about Jack as you mentioned he's got a big smile on his face he's funny he's polite he's a true gentleman. It just seems like he, he's an old-fashioned guy, and he was just cut a little differently than most. I would agree with all of that, uh, although I'm sure there are people that worked under him, myself included, that uh, know that he's, <laughs> he can be pretty hard on you, but that was all part of his mission, Gino. He wanted the best for everyone, and he wanted to put people in the position where they could get the best for themselves uh, he didn't want to serve it up to them on a platter. He wanted them to go out and get it for themselves. And that's what his father, Marion, did to Jack. Jack is a little bit different than in his father. His father came from grit, uh, as the name of the book uh, implies. I mean, it's as hard scrabble, depression days as you can imagine. And by the time Jack was born, Marion was, was rolling and going, going with this story uh, of how he came from rags to riches. But he, he made Jack continue to work. Uh, Jack had a house and, and electricity and all that stuff and, and uh, money was not an issue but he had to work and uh, Marion worked Jack like a dog and um, so that's how Jack got his work ethic but Jack um, imparted that on so many others that worked under his shed row and you know it's like disciplining a child that the, the child may bristle at the, the role or the demands or the discipline but in essence, they really just love it because they are getting this guidance and this direction, and they know down the road it will be helpful to them. And 
the major trainers like Wayne Catalano, Frankie Brothers, and Bill Mott, those three were his primary disciples, and that's chapter, I think, 26 in the book, named the disciples. Those, those three are living examples among hundreds of thousands of others that worked uh, for Jack in that manner. You know, it's interesting because I was reading an article. There are many, obviously, that have been written in the last 24 hours, given tributes and stories and things of that nature regarding Jack. And one of the things that kind of struck me, and I'm paraphrasing here, was something along the lines of, he said, if somebody that's been working under me goes off on their own and they can't train, then, uh, you know, then they didn't learn anything because they should be able to, to go off and, and do their thing after, you know, uh, maybe following my, my work ethic and technique and things of that nature. And the, the entire name of the book is Jack from Good to Glory, A Lifetime of Mentoring, Dedication and Perseverance. How did that name come about? Did you come up with that name? And obviously mentoring was an important part of that. And you mentioned one of the chapters being the disciples. Uh, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about the name of the, of the book in its entirety. Sure. First off, I'll say you really sugarcoated what Jack said. What Jack basically said, <laughs> look, I'm going to teach you everything I know. And if you can't learn it, you're just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much what, what Jack said. Um, and, well, the name of the book, I, I, you know, as part of marketing, I, I wanted to appeal to people who maybe weren't just mainline race trackers and really knew horse racing inside and out. If they wanted to learn about mentoring and dedication and perseverance, that they could. And the perseverance is key because at the time Jack asked me to write his book, which was in 2010, um, he, he was really in that tailspin of about a dozen or so years that he was not training an abundance of winners. In fact, from what Gina was talking about, the numbers that Jack put up, this year, 2017, his horses earned $1.2 million, and it's the first time they surpassed the million-dollar mark since the year 2000. And in 2013, ironically, the year the book was released, Jack's horses were one of 122. And so he was just, he was a shadow of his former self. And frankly, it made me sick to my stomach when I would be reporting for TVG and I'd leave the paddock and I'd walk through the tunnel to the, to the racetrack side of the grandstand. And I would see Jack sitting by where the security would park their golf cart and the, and the, the pony horses would tie up there at the hitching post. And I would just see him, and I just thought, "Good God, this—you know—the people need to know what this man is really about." And he's not. Well, he was the trainer that was training twenty to ones and thirty to ones because that was the stock that he had. But he was so much more than that. And that's my mission of writing the book was I wanted people to know how wonderful this man really is beyond the numbers that they see. And that's like, oh God, another Vanberg horse, another Warren's something or other horse that. Uh, you know, couldn't outrun a fat man. So, uh, nothing, I'm sorry for all the overweight people with that remark, but (laughs) (laughs) it's the holidays. We're all a little fat right now, so it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) I can run, I can outrun all of them if they're coming after me for that remark, but Uh, you know, and, and he is, he is a jolly guy and, and he is a gentleman and, uh, I mean, he's all of that stuff. He's no saint. None of us are, uh, as far as I know, but he brought so much to the horse racing game that, that people, the modern-day race fan, was missing out on. And so that's what I wanted to do was, was try to scratch the surface and share some of those stories. Chris, Chris let me back. ask you. Uh, you know, the, uh, 
Oh, go ahead, Gito. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you, you know, you've obviously heard his side of the story and, and history kind of reveals uh, some some facts on its own when it comes to, you know, maybe why he didn't have as many quality runners in his latter years. But what have you gathered as being some of the core reasons? Is is it more along the lines of, you know, people with big money nowadays with, with the big, you know, uh, that that invest in a lot of the, the younger, uh, you know, stock with with the great pedigrees and and are spending millions upon millions are gravitating towards the suits you know the pletchers and you know guys like that or or the you know the name guys like baffert or you know what gives rise to kind of falling from grace in in this sport chris well it's a great question and i'll give you jack's response and my response and um and and what i learned from the book and you know jack always said i don't go out there and market myself as a trainer so right there that's going to be a major issue. And, you know, the market can be very, um, it can be very forthright and, and honest and just, you know, making sure you're mingling with the right people. And it can be backstabbing. And, and there's b- both different sides of the coin going on there. But it's tough to market yourself if you are only running 20 and 30 to 1 sort of horses. And what happened is when Jack elected to stay in California and not do all of this operations of running four and five uh, outfits at one time throughout the nation, and, and he just decided he wanted to stay in California, well, that then automatically cut, severed the tie with all of those owners that he had in Detroit and Kentucky and Omaha and Hot Springs and, and New York and so on and so forth. So that kind of, you know, he, um, that was going to be an issue, and it did become an issue right there. Um, I want to complete my thought, but I want to interject one thing. Back in the day, the trainers had to be there. You couldn't just say, uh, this is the big name trainer and have that trainer come by the stable area once a year or twice a year. You had to be there in, in some cases every five days, every three days, depending on what jurisdiction. So Jack was perpetually on fly, uh, planes flying to uh, New England, to New York, to Kentucky, to Louisiana, to Chicago, to Omaha, to California, all of that. So you can imagine the, the, the mental and physical stress there. But to complete the thought about what happened to Jack, uh, you know, w- without that flow of horses, he, he, you know, did fall out of vogue. And, you know, who, not many people are going to want to go up to a guy that's, that's saddled, you know, two winners of 80 starters, that sort of thing. So that worked against him, and uh, and so it goes. I don't know if I even completed my own thought on there, but, um, you know, he, Jack always says even when Charlie Whittingham was at the end of his training career, people were not sending him top flight horses. And, you know, the greats, like uh, you know, Ron McAnally and, and the Studies and all of that. So uh, it runs its course, and, and a lot of people just want to go with a new hop, hip name that's, that's winning races. And was the understanding about that? He, he kind of accepted it. He realized that, that that's what it was, but he, he, he did not want to deviate. And for better or worse, Jack Vanberg was his own worst enemy because of just sticking hard and fast and just saying, nope, this is, this is how I want to do it. This is how I will do it. And um, when, by the time he left, left California in 2013, there were times when we were out on the book signing tour where – you know, I was wondering, how is this guy going to get money to eat tomorrow? Or, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and he even said it himself um, in, in the Pollock report. There's a, there's a story 
and there's about a 50-minute video, five zero-minute video of the Dawn at Oakland program hosted by Nancy Yuri Holtis, and he'll say all of this as well. I encourage you to listen to it. But, I mean, it was really tough. I would go out on these book signing tours with, with my wife, and, and we were like, good God, you know, everything generated from that book signing, all that cash would just go right back to his pocket. I was like, keep it, Jack. So, uh, but, but he rose up out of that, and that's, that was my whole quest was to get him out of that rut, out of that dark cellar, and uh, we did it. The book is Jack from Grit to Glory. We have been speaking with Chris Katulak. You know him from TVG, the Remington Park TV host. You've heard his voice calling races. Where, Chris? LaSalle, uh, Hollywood, Louisiana, some Remington you fill in. You've been all over the place, that, that voice calling the uh, the races and give us the plugs we've got just a little taste of the book right now some stories but there's so much more good stuff in there where can we find the book and where can we find you what are you going to be up to the next uh, couple months well the book can be purchased at amazon uh there's a book website that's the book title it's jack from grit to glory jack from grit to glory.com and you can see some of these old pictures we're talking about. You can hear hear videos. We all want to hear Jack's voice, and now that he's gone, that's a great way to, to go back, and you can buy the book that way through the website, but it'll take you to Amazon. But I have to tell you, people keep, they've been on me to write a new book for the last few years, and I say, well, when I have more time and less sense, I'll, I'll think about writing another book. <laughs> but I could because... For one of the most gratifying things of this entire odyssey of the book research, the book writing, the book tour, and where we're at now, have been the stories by the people that come up to the book t- uh, signing table with their $20 in hand, and 50% of them, if not 80% of them, all had their own Vanberg story that they wanted to tell, whether it was about Jack working for Jack, a Vanberg horse, or Marion working for his father, Marion. And so that was just gratifying beyond words but but then those stories that come up was like what what you know where did, how come you didn't tell me that story some some jack didn't even remember most of them he did and you know the book was 300 pages as it is but we could have made it 600 in a blink of an eye so uh, I, I could have done some story writing based on the stories i i heard at the at the book signing table and didn't I? It was just way too much. It was too maybe much maybe that's book number kind of two, Chris. Yeah. Maybe Volume that's the two. next book. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's already been Jack from Grit to Glory and back to Grit and back to Glory. So uh, we could just keep on making that, that book title longer, I suppose. We'll see. Maybe something <laughs> will, will come. I, I have to say this, and I know you guys want to wrap. There is a memorial service that is planned in Hot Springs, Arkansas, on Monday, January 8th. Monday, January 8th at 2 p.m., and I just got up the phone with one of Jack's daughters, Tracy, and they're trying to determine where they are going to accommodate everybody beyond the, the actual funeral service. And they're considering the convention center in Hot Springs. And anybody that might have gone to the Scoop Vessels uh, memorial service at Vessels Farm about 10 years ago, I'm sure they had well over 500 people for that. Uh, so this is going to be huge. And um Stand by for more details there, but that's all in tribute to the man, JVB. Well, thank you for that. Thanks Sounds a lot, like it's be a big event, and uh, we'll we'll give our thoughts and prayers to uh, Jack's family and friends, and uh, obviously to to you as well, being uh, someone who was close to him for several years alongside of him and writing this book. And we'll look out for volume number two, hopefully, and uh, we'll 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 uh, bring you back when 
when Remington Park starts their quarter horse meet and, and gets their thoroughbreds going and, and maybe have a conversation uh, uh, on, a, on a different type of note. Thank you. I'd love to be a part of it, Jack. Did have enough time to, to say um, some goodbyes to a number of people when the end was drawing very near. Uh, his daughter told me that he ordered a Bud Light the night before um, he passed away. And, um, and that was just sort of more of a, of a you know, just sort of a, a tribute, I guess, to where he'd been. And then the morning of, he autographed a book for a nurse uh, just about an hour before he passed away. So uh, he That's did it awesome. his way, and that was the only way, the JVB way. That's awesome, man. Well, we thank you very, very much, Chris. We appreciate Thanks, you Chris. joining us on short notice, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you all. Um, God bless those memories of a great man. Amen to that. We'll take our first commercial break, and we will be back with the Parlay Queen in a brief moment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. You just uh, heard Chris Katulak give his uh, tribute and some good stories about the legendary Jack Van Berg, who unfortunately passed away yesterday at the age of 81. And now we're going to shift gears and talk pro and college football. You know her as a previous guest of ours, the Parlay Queen. She's with America's Best Racing and Covers.com. And she is a great 
follow on Twitter. She's a must follow if you're at all interested in point spreads and, uh, you know, video type of stuff or, or relating to the games. We're, I'm talking about horse racing. Yeah, yeah, we got everything. I think we got probably some of our best feedback of any of the shows we had so far. Lots of people because, Monique, as you know, in uh, the gambling world, when you make people money, they like you. And you made some people money last time you were on. So we appreciate that. Well, thank you, guys. You know, it's, it's sometimes up and down, but it's good when people remember the good times rather than the bad times. So it's, it's been good. It's been a good run this season. Well, we're, you're going to get on a winning streak with us. Every time you come on, you're going to have a great seven to ten days. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm sensing here. What do you think, G? Well, it's me. I mean, I've told Monique this since we've uh, talked to her since uh, she was on the show last time. I'm the good luck charm for her so you know that that's that's the key when she comes on i give the good juju and she ends up winning the games i'm trying to force her into becoming a lakers and usc fan so she can kind of give some of the good juju back this way but we're gonna have to keep working on that monique let's focus on the the prime task at hand and that's making the folks some money this week it's the final week of the nfl and then we have some really fun bowl games that we're going to kind of jump into from an nfl standpoint there are uh, a few teams that you're playing in particular. It seems like you have a couple team totals this week that you like, and it looks like there's one point spread that you're interested in. Yeah, it's one of those weeks where you don't really know what to expect. You have a lot of uh, teams resting their starters, and you're not really sure who's playing with a little bit more incentive. Obviously, you know if they're playing for a postseason berth, you're, they're obviously going to be playing a lot harder, but it's tough at this t- time of the season to know who's really playing for something. So I tend to uh, go for those teams where there's a lot more on the line than just uh, a draft pick, per se. So we'll sit, let's jump into your first a uh, couple plays that I have written down. It looks like you have a couple plays in the Washington Redskins versus the Giants game. Yeah, I'm liking the uh, Redskins team total over 20. I'm looking at it at plus 100, and then I like the Redskins minus 3. So this is one of these games where uh, the Giants can clinch the second-round pick of the draft with a loss, and if they win the game versus the Skins, the Colts would move in ahead and get the second overall pick. So I would say it's, it's probably in the Giants' best interest as a franchise to lose, judging by how they've been this season. You have safety Landon Collins, who was put on IR, Eli Apple suspended for Week 17. And you have three starting receivers, Tavares King, Roger Lewis, and Sterling Shepard, who are on the injured list. You also have a plethora of other injuries. Um, off the top of my head, it would be Evan Ingram and I believe Jason Pierre-Paul. So I think you have to be careful if you're coaching for the Giants or anything with all the injuries and just how your season's been. You don't want to add to that list. And, I mean, you're literally playing for nothing. So I think the Redskins will come out with a little bit more grit, and I think that they'll get the job done. Redskins trying to move to 500, and they're actually looking to win their third game in a row to end uh, the season and try to give them a little momentum, and we'll see what happens with Kirk Cousins at the end of the year and uh, moving forward. And then you're gonna play. Uh, you're gonna have a play in the Eagles game. Yeah, this is one of these games where um, I heard Peterson say about Nick Foles that he wants to get him to play and get him in and put through as many reps as he possibly can. Um, yes, I think he'll be benched. Maybe. Maybe he'll last the whole first half, but I think that it's really important to get him some of that extra time. Their offense definitely struggled on Monday, and I think 
even taking that game aside, it's really good for momentum to have your quarterback gain some confidence and come out and play well. So I think he'll last long enough that the Eagles can score over 17 points. Yeah, I like that play, too. I read the same thing. It looks like you got to remember with Wentz playing most of the year, he was dominant. They they have to get their offense clicking with full. So with the bye already for them, um, you, you have to imagine they're going to give at least falls, like you said, at least a half. And they want this team to look good in this offense to get clicking. Uh, a team that needs to win because they're, you know, they're in a really tough division. They're trying to get a home game, and that's the Saints. They're playing at Tampa, whose defense has been struggling. What's your play going to be in this Saints game? Well, I like the Saints team total over 29. I would look into the spread as well, but it's not really exactly at a line I'd like. If it can stay below a touchdown, I like it, but I've seen it at 7.5 on some, some books, so I'm not in love with that one. I know there's been a lot of controversy and things going on in the Bucks locker room, which definitely doesn't help a team that's already struggling. But like you were saying, it's important for the Saints to win this one. It not only gives them the NFC South, but it gives them 12 wins in 14 games after an 0-2 start. So this is also hey, another game where you have... Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, Alvin, go ahead. No, oh, please. Alvin Kamara, who's uh, putting forth his last bid for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and Marshawn Lattimore for potentially defensive rookie of the year. So I would assume that with that extra incentive, you could have a team come out and play a little bit harder along with them trying to win the NFC South. And they've got a great special teams unit, right, G? Oh, yeah. We had uh, Zach on last week. Mike is the agent for the long snapper. Zach, uh, they have a great punter, kicker, long snapper, snapper combo. So any anytime you're, you're talking Saints, we're gonna get. We're gonna be in your corner even more here, Monique. So that's some good. Uh, some good Mike Abadir show karma there with the Saints team total. And then uh, you move on to a few college games because this is a really fun time. In particular, this next few days we have some really big bowl games. Games all day today, uh, all day tomorrow, and then this weekend leading into the college football playoff games. Yeah, the first game you have is a little later on today. And it's the Virginia Tech-Oklahoma State game. You have a couple plays in this game, right? Yes, and you have to choose games for today because we all need action every day of the week. So I mean, every day. I <laughs> had, to, had to choose that one. Uh, and yeah, Mike, I, I know you were happy with my Fresno State pick a couple weeks ago. Yes, so good, yes, good memory. Like the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, in this so game, what? I'm liking uh, Virginia Tech plus six and the under 62. So I look at it like Virginia Tech's defense, who rank fifth in the nation, is only allowing opponents to score 13.5 points. So they're second in third down conversion defense and red zone defense. On top of all that, they're coming in, posting an impressive shutout performance against their in-state rival. That shutout last week made it their third of the year. So I, I really don't care who you're playing. If you're pitching a shutout against anyone, obviously it's impressive and gets me gets my attention. Although they haven't been able to score many points recently, I think this will be one of those grinded-out games, and I think both sides will keep it pretty close throughout the majority of the game. Now, Monique, I am a Pac-12 fan, and when they're not in the college football playoff, what I look for are how are the Pac-12 teams going to fare against all the other conferences. And today we've got a game with Stanford playing TCU. Stanford's 9-4. and four. They have the Heisman runner-up and Bryce Love. Is he going to be able to get off uh, against the TCU defense? And TCU is uh, minus three in that game. 
That's a that's a really tough game. I, I definitely went between both sides there. It was it was tough to figure that one out. But I, I, I do think Bryce Love will get it going. I know he's been playing for most of the season with that high ankle sprain, but I think he's he's definitely the X factor in that game. I don't know I don't know what exactly what the point total is in there, but I don't think it's gonna be super high scoring, but I think obviously when you run the ball a lot more, a lot of the clock comes out, so potentially an under there, but I, I do. I, I really think that they'll get it done in BTCU. Well, we're talking Pac-12. Pac we have to, uh, first of all, if any of you out there didn't see the clip yesterday for, with uh, with Coach Mike Leach from Washington State during the, the press conference. The raccoon what, spiel? He, well, no, he, he, he's blowing on his coffee. Did you see that? He, I, I saw that. It was too hot, so while they're interviewing the coach from Michigan State who's up at the podium, He's literally blowing on his coffee. He's like dipping it, tasting, seeing if it's hot. He's blowing it. It's just so hilarious. Like he's got, he's not paying attention at all to what they're asking the other coach. I just, it's great if you haven't seen this. He's about having a pet raccoon. Yeah, uh, he, he's absolutely absurd, but he's hilarious and he's fun to watch. And we're going to have some money invested on him a little later on. Right, Monique? Absolutely, we are. And uh, that just put the cherry on top when I saw that clip. That was hilarious. Um, I'm liking Michigan State under 24 and Washington State plus one and a half. So, of course, being without your best two receivers in Washington State, it's less than ideal. But they've been able to move the ball well all season, and they do have six players with 30 or more catches. So the Cougars possess the Pac-12 number one pass defense and defense on third down. Um, I don't know how long Washington State will try and attempt to show a run game, but that's definitely where the Spartans' defense have excelled. I think they're very stout against the run, but although they've improved against the pass, that's definitely their weakness on the defensive side. Um, with Washington, with Mata off out for the first half and the Cougars without their best two wideouts, I would say if they can keep it close in the first half, I'd give the Cougars a huge edge when he returns. And I just think the spread is so small. It's one of those where you, you kind of just pick a side. I do think it could go, go down to pick them, to be honest, at closer to game time. But I do see it moving up in favor of Michigan State minus two and a half. But I think it can go down and even out more at the one and a half, one range, which in that case, just choose a side wherever you give the edge. Now, Monique, we've got a a few short minutes left until uh, our uh, next commercial break. And I've got an emailer. Are you up for taking an email question? Of course. Okay, it's going to switch gears back to the NFL for a moment. And his question is, ask Monique, why is the line for the Chargers-Raiders game, Chargers minus 7.5, don't the lines makers know that even though this game is in L.A., the fans are going to prove that the Raiders belong in L.A. Did, did you make this question up, black. Mike? Did you no, this is, from Evan, this is from Evan in Temecula. Okay. This isn't from your dog, Raider? Are you sure? No, this isn't from my dog, Raider. Okay. <laughs> but we've got a lot of Raider fans, obviously. They'll listen in. So wants to know, how is the line seven and a half? It's, it's a pretty fair line. I mean, judging by what the Chargers have done offensively, they, Keenan Allen's been slowed down a lot. Um, yeah, it's Chargers Raiders. It is what it is. It's one of those games where, even if what, both teams, one team's playing for something, one team's not. It's it's one of those that look like it's going to be close. It definitely can't be under a touchdown, but the line is fair. I, I mean, I was liking the Raiders. I like the points. Give me the points. I think they played. I think they played really well on Monday night. I had um, 
at a, a heartbreaking loss there. I had the game to go to overtime, which was Derek Carr's interception, which killed me there. But uh. Uh, heartbreaking. I had a six to one on the game to go to overtime, but um, yeah, they they played well. They couldn't really get the ball moving, but I didn't hate what I saw out of them. I definitely think they can keep it close with the Chargers. Uh, Chargers obviously have something to play for, but offensively they struggled, so I think the line is fair at seven and a half. Yeah, usually that division matchup, you know, everything in the AFC West, it seems like, you know, when the when the Broncos are really good, the Raiders will upset them. When the Chiefs are really good, the Raiders will upset them. When the Raiders are really good, the Chargers will upset them. This it's would be a, so such a Chargers, division, you know? This would be so Chargers to lose this game, it, it especially if Tennessee lost, too. It would be like all they'd have to do is the win to get in, but I think that's the key, as Monique mentioned. The Chargers just have so much more to play for that if, if the Raiders are down by 10 – do you think they're going to really have the motivation to come all the way back? That's the way that I look at that line is that I think that the Chargers really have to play the best game they've played all year because they got to get in. You know, they got to win to get in. That's a good point. Now, we've only got a moment left here, Monique. Are there any other games that you want to, uh, you know, spend some time talking about and, uh, and then give us your plugs? All right. Uh, one in particular, I like Northwestern by seven. I think for Kentucky, I don't think losing at home 44 to seven in the season finale is a good look. I think uh, the Wildcats quarterback, Steven Johnson, not throwing a touchdown in the final three games of the season could be entirely problematic mentally, and I think that's going to instill a lot of doubts if they get behind early. And it doesn't help when you're facing off against a Northwestern defense who is very balanced, coming off seven straight wins, allowing combined seven points in their final two games. So I just don't think they have it. I think people are betting Kentucky for namesake. I actually think if you've watch a lot of the games, you know Northwestern is the real deal. So I really like them at minus seven. And how can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Parlay Queen. That is awesome. Monique, thank you so much. Uh, you mentioned when we spoke quickly yesterday, you thought if you had to pick, you would pick Clemson to win the whole thing in college? I would. I think the winner comes out of the Alabama-Clemson matchup, as most people do. And I, I just give Clemson the edge there. And then on the other, in the other game, I like Oklahoma. I like Anytime I'm getting any points in one of those games which look close, I'll take the points with both teams. There you have it. That is Monique giving us her fantastic NFL, analysis. And a little bit of everything. Yep. yep. <laughs> Outstanding job, Monique. We, we appreciate it. We thank you like always, and we look forward to the next time that we all get together for a chat. Thank you guys so much. It was a blast like usual. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll take our next commercial break here and we will be joined by Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible in just a brief moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. 
This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, we're diving into planning your 2018 outdoor adventures. Find out about prime DIY hunting opportunities across the country. Get the how-tos of applying for tags and listen for advice from the pros who hunt full-time. Joining us is Kevin Steele, host of Peterson's Hunting Adventures, Jeremy Millette with Silencer Shop, Mrs. Bunny, and more. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 346 9144. That's 1 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. Mike and Gino are joined by our next guest. Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible. They do a fantastic job covering bowl games, the players involved in each of these games, especially if they're NFL draft prospects, the combine process, the all-star games, the NFL draft, everything is covered. Rick, how are you, my friend? Uh, Doing well. Appreciate uh, you having me on here. Congratulations on the new show. I've been keeping tabs on you guys. Thank uh, you. Welcome to the podcast world. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Let's get right to it because there's a lot to cover and and little time here. Before we talk about the specific games, let me ask you a couple general questions first, and then we'll kind of roll up our sleeves and, uh, and, and talk about some of the big games here. But what are your thoughts in general just about players sitting out their final bowl game? And what do you think that does to their draft stock? And how do you feel about it as a fan? Well, I think, you know, as football becomes more and more a big business, uh, you have to really put yourself first. And, you know, at the end of the day, the most frustrating part about the NFL draft process is that these players have so little knowledge. uh, Their coaches care so little about them going on to the next level. And they will actually tell the team and tell the players, you know, don't worry about agents. Don't worry about where you're training. Just worry about the season at task. And, you know, I feel for the players who are currently in bowl games that the coaches, you know, refuse to allow the players to meet with agents or make their decisions on where they're training because I'm dealing with that right now, Rick. And you already know that. Yeah, I mean, let's let's face it. If you're in a college football playoffs or you're in one of these New Year's Day bowl games, all of a sudden you're a step behind everybody else who's competing for a job at the next level. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, we saw what happened to the Notre Dame linebacker a couple of years ago, complete, you know, cost them about $10 million in the pocket. So, you know, if you have aspirations playing at the next level and you have nothing to gain from playing in a bowl game, I'm all for it. I don't think it impacts your draft stock 
all too much because, you know, let's be honest, whether you're a redshirt sophomore, a junior, or even a senior, you've got two, three, four years worth of film that is your resume, and that will be 90% of your draft grade at the end of the day. Yep, no, you're absolutely right. So let's turn our attention to, in my opinion, the marquee game. And, and Monique alluded to this from kind of a wagering perspective. Uh, uh, you know, the college football playoff, of course, talking about Alabama and Clemson. In this game alone, you're projecting 12 top 50 guys, 10 first rounders. That's a third of the first round, Clemson and Alabama. These teams are stacked, especially on the defensive side of the ball with Clemson. I mean, uh, this is the game of the game, cream of the crop, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think you could state a case that at any given moment, every player on the field is going to play at the next level at some point in time, right? So, I mean, you know, you talk about that Clemson front defensive line, though. Christian Wilkins, I think, is leading the way. I think he he's a guy that could potentially be the first defensive player off of the draft board altogether. I mean, I think he's going to blow the roof off Indianapolis when you take a look at his uh, size and measurables. This guy is as good as they get. I think he's competing right now with Minka Fitzpatrick in terms of the top defensive prospect in the draft. But then you take a look at his teammate on the other end of the ball, uh, Quellen Farrell. I think he's a guy that, you know, has draft eligibility who could consider it. Uh, Dexter Lawrence is another you know, first round guy, Austin Bryant. I mean, it's funny because the the um, Clemson, NC State, all these schools there in that conference, they have all these great, talented defensive linemen. And I think, you know, Clemson is going to give Alabama a run for their money because, you know, let's be honest, Alabama is going to want to ground and pound. Uh, they've got probably three or four running backs there in the backfield that are potential NFL prospects. And Damian Harris, probably the most underrated guy. Uh, I think he's a borderline first-round pick. Of course, Bo Scarborough, I don't think he'll declare this year, but you remember him from the national championship last year. Calvin Ridley, arguably the top wide receiver prospect. And then you get into guys like uh, Ronnie Harrison and Minka Fitzpatrick there in that defensive backfield. I mean, Fitzpatrick is lined up all over the field for these uh, Crimson Tide. He's played six different positions, and I think he's really positioned himself to be a top-five pick. But, I mean, you could probably dedicate a whole entire show on this game alone. And at the end of the day, I think that the college football playoffs, I, I heard you guys talking about it a little bit earlier. I, I, if you told me the four teams that are in it, you could pick either team that said – you were going to um, pick them to go on and win it all. It would not surprise me at all. But in this matchup right here, I'm going to give the slight edge to Alabama just because the taste of revenge is oh so sweet. Oh, yes, it is. But clearly this game uh, outclasses any of the other games. I mean, from an NFL talent perspective, you know, it's far and away ahead of uh, Georgia and Oklahoma. Speaking well, of Oklahoma. There's what, 12, you have 12 of the, the top 50 ranked players in this game alone, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Clemson and Alabama, it looks like there's like seven of the top 50 that you have ranked from Clemson and another five from Alabama. So um, you're looking at a, a good chunk of the top talent, as you mentioned, on the field going to be all at the same time right there. And that's not going to be like the last few years where it's been in the championship game. This is going to be the semifinal. So I think I'm with you. I would prefer with uh, with the that time to prepare and not just the week in between when we've seen these two teams match up. I'm going to put my faith in Saban. Yeah, agreed there. Rick, with the Georgia-Oklahoma game, obviously the guy that gets the most attention is Baker Mayfield. 
Uh, Oklahoma has a massive offensive tackle, Orlando Brown Jr., 6'7", 360 pounds. I, I want to get your thoughts on him and uh, his ability to move around and, and protect the quarterback at the next level. But before you talk about Orlando, how do you project Baker Mayfield as an NFL prospect? Is he one of those guys that has got the, the name and the fanfare and the accolades and the Heisman and flames out? Or do you think this guy can, uh, can find a home at the next level and actually succeed? Well, in my book, he's he's uh, an enriched Chase Daniels. So, you know, I mean, uh, is he five foot eleven? Is he six feet tall? We shall see. Uh, it's going to be tough for Baker Mayfield. I think he's a heck of a collegiate player. I think he definitely has all the intangibles that NFL scouts look for in terms of leadership and um, demeanor on the field. You want to mistake his intensity for. Uh, propensity, whatever the case may be. I know there's some off-the-field issues, but in terms of being a um, college kid, it's, it's nothing that's too terrible, in my opinion. Now, I do think that the one-on-one interviews could dictate uh, whether or not he goes in the top half of the first round or slides into the second round. I think that the NFL League is so quarterback needy that he will get very serious heavy consideration for the first round. And, you know, while I might not be a huge fan of how his talents translate to the next level, I think at the end of the day that you only need one scout, one GM, one owner to fall in love with you. So I I do think he'll land somewhere in that first round if the draft was held today. But I do think that there's a lot of X factors and, and variables between now and the draft. And, you know, we'll find that out at the combine, what he measures in at, and then, you know, we'll see how he does on the one-on-one interviews. But, you know, I think the size is a concern, and, you know, I think that he's going to have an uphill in terms of making that transition. Uh, I think Chase Daniels is a very similar skill set kind of guy. Can Baker Mayfield do a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, But I think, you know, the thing that does not bode well for him is, you know, Johnny Football, kind of a – Similar situation, maybe not as bad off-the-field stuff, but uh, a guy that did have some off-the-field concerns and some size concerns. So I think that's where you know Baker Mayfield is going to have to face the critics. Well, and more and more, you know, these these teams are looking at the quarterback as you know the CEO of the team and things of that nature. Uh, Baker Mayfield comes off as a you know I'll just flat out say it a little bit of a punk. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that most yeah. teams are probably going to view that disfavorably, but you make a good point. And I always tell, uh, you know, any of my clients that are kind of on the outside looking in the same thing, which is you only need one team to fall in love with you, one team to believe in your intangibles and the things you bring to the table. So there will be a team. It may be a mistake. Uh, hopefully he proves uh, all his naysayers wrong and succeeds at the next level before we get to the game that i know gino wants to talk to you about which is ohio state and usc uh just a a quick uh quick thought on orlando brown and and his his size i mean he on paper looks to be uh the real deal uh he's a mammoth i mean this guy is a franchise anchor left tackle i think you know six foot seven 360 pounds he's still got (laughs) <laughs> he's still got room there to, to pack on a few pounds if he, ch- if he chooses so. And um, I think right now he's probably the top offensive tackle prospect in college football. Uh, Jonah Williams 
you know, who we didn't talk about with the Alabama Clemson. He might be a guy next year that is the top offensive tackle, but I think in terms of this year, Orlando Brown is that guy, and of course we know about the bloodlines, his father and all that good stuff, so I think you know yep. Orlando Brown right now is probably pegged for the top ten right now. And who wins that game, Georgia and Oklahoma? Well, you know, despite what I say about Baker Mayfield and his pro prospects, I, I do think, again, going back to his talents as a collegiate quarterback, I like everything uh, that Oklahoma brings to the table. In fact, I would... I have them to uh, win out. I have them winning it all. Wow. There you have it. Well, we got to jump into, uh, with just a few minutes left, talk about a little bit about my Trojans. Um, they're playing against Ohio State. And as far as just NFL talent on the field, this game might be number two when you have uh, a lot of NFL talent between U- USC and Ohio State. And these two teams, Rick, they kind of seem very similar. They, they mirrored each other most of the year in, in that Either one of these teams can beat anybody on any given day. They have as much talent as any teams in the nation, but they were very inconsistent. And being a USC fan, I watched this team all throughout the year, and maybe in a game and a half that I feel like this team was a national championship-type contender, they were just a little disappointing most of the year. It's funny to say that when you win 11 games and you're 11-2 and and you win the Pac-12 conference. I felt like the spread's a little high because I think this is going to be a close game, but what's... Kind of your overall feel for this game. Well, you know, Ohio State arguably could, you know, instead of Alabama, it could be Ohio State in there. I think it was very slim. I think the uh, college football playoffs really had a tough decision to make. And, 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 and last year, if you asked me, I thought four teams was enough. This year, if you ask me, I, I'm all in favor of expanding the college football playoff to eight teams and maybe even more than that. But, yeah, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of great, talented players uh, on the Ohio State side of things. Denzel Ward is a guy that you really want to monitor here. I think he, you know he's going to challenge John Ross at the combine. Is he really a four-two-five guy? He is really a four-two-five guy, and um, he's going to challenge that forty-yard dash combine record for sure. And you know, you mentioned the the defensive line of Clemson. This defensive line of Ohio State, led by Sam Hubbard and. Uh, Nick Bosa, who's not draft eligible, but said, you know, I feel like I can play in the NFL right now. I believe him. And then Jerome Baker is a guy that's really, I would say, escalated up draft boards at the beginning of the season. Not very heavily on the draft radar, but with his play, I think he's kind of put himself into that first round consideration. And then on the other side of the ball, um, of course, Sam Darnold, the quarterback, Everybody is talking him up. I, I think that, you know, when USC and UCLA played each other, I thought you saw a superior quarterback in Josh Rosen. That's not to say that Darnold doesn't have the upside and could turn out to be a better quarterback, but if I was choosing number one overall, if I was building my team around a quarterback in college football, at this given moment, I would give Rosen the edge over Sam Darnold. And then, you know, I think in his shadow back there, Ronald Jones third, just running back. I mean, uh, I really believe he's a, he's a potential first-round candidate. This guy has really been buried under the headlines. Um, you talk about some of the other running backs, Saquon Barkley and um, – some of the other guys, Darius Geis has gotten a lot of publicity, Rashard Penny, of course, 
But lost in the mix is this guy, Ronald Jones, playing on the late night. I know here on the East Coast, when UFC goes on TV, it's been about a 12-hour day of nonstop uh, college football action. But you know, <laughs> And it's like 11 o'clock for you guys at that point <laughs> yeah. when we start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it really is. It's been a pleasure to watch this kid play. And Deontay Burnett, another guy, you know, you talked about uh, Baker on Ohio State coming into the season, not really on the radar. Deontay Burnett, I mean, this kid's exploded onto the scene, uh, doesn't have huge, huge size, but a playmaker in the mold of Deshaun Jackson. So, there, you know, a lot of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball on terms of defense for the Trojans. I really like this Iman Marshall. He's tall, he's long, he's lengthy. Uh, so little bit of debate whether he's a corner or a free safety, but definitely a guy that uh, probably in that top 50, top 100 overall mix. Rick, we got about 20 seconds left before we close the show. Who wins that game? And tell us where to find you and follow you. Wow. I'm going to go Ohio State. I'm going to give the edge to the coaching and Urban Meyer there. And then, of course, NFLDraftBible.com. We can't stop. We won't stop. If you want to pay attention to everything we do on Twitter, at NFLDraftBible is always a good way. And I appreciate you guys having me on. I know we'll be chatting plenty of times before the draft. Absolutely. Thank you. We thank you. That was tremendous, fantastic analysis, in-depth stuff from Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible. Check him out. Check out the site. You guys will love it. We thank all our guests today, Rick, Monique, and Chris Katulak. And we look forward to visiting with you guys next week for another great edition of the Mike Abadir Show. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.